Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. What's up, Internet, and welcome back to the Engadget Podcast. I'm senior editor Devinder Hardwar. Joining me today is our podcast producer, Ben Elman. Hey, Ben. Hello. Sherlyn is off because she's traveling for the holidays. And honestly, most of the people in Gadget are off. We're just taking it easy right now, except there's still, there's like one big story that's been bubbling up, and that's the whole Apple Watch patent mess that is happening. Um, and basically, Apple has paused sales of the, uh, the Apple Watch Series 9 and Ultra 2. We'll be diving into everything happening around that with a special guest. And uh, yeah, Ben, are you ready for the holidays? Are you are you prepped? I didn't think that I was going to be the sort of person who is staggering to the holiday, like just pulling myself <laughs> by my fingertips. But God, does it seem like it finds me every single every year. Time. Well, it's more like you have to get ready to stop working for a while and work piles up. Uh, I am wearing the Windows uh, ugly sweater, the latest one. So it is clouds. It's the Windows 95 desktop image. Um, I like that Microsoft puts these things out and nobody around me understands what this sweater is. So I think you of all people could understand that ugly sweaters were supposed to be like an anti-capitalist thing where you they just were. like go to a mm-hmm. thrift store and get an old ugly sweater. Yeah. Now, like the ugly sweater industrial complex just makes more stuff. We can leave that for somewhere else. Everything has to be commodified. Everything has to be resold to us. So anyway. Folks, if you're enjoying the podcast, please be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes or your podcatcher of choice. Leave us a review on iTunes. Drop us an email at podcast at engadget.com. Uh, we will probably have next week off. It depends. We are, we're getting ready for CES. I'm going to be off next week, but uh, we'll see. If Sherlyn finds a good topic, we may have an episode next week. So stay tuned for all of that. Let's move on to what's going on with the Apple Watch. So joining us is Christina Farr, a health tech investor at Omer's Ventures, author of Second Opinion, the newsletter. Hey, Chrissy, how's it going? Hello. It's so nice to be here. Happy holidays. Yeah, happy holidays. Happy to have you back, too. Uh, for background, folks, Chrissy and I used to work together at VentureBeat, and now Chrissy is a recovering journalist and moving on to covering, yeah, yeah, doing health tech investment stuff. So how are you doing, Chrissy, just in general these days? I'm good. I have to say it's it was it's a little bit refreshing to not have to be the person jumping on the news um, yes. at random hours in the night when something like this happens with the Apple Watch. But I have fond memories. Um, that was certainly something you and I used to do together and, you know, when we were back at VentureBeat back in the day. But, yeah, I mean, it's it's been interesting watching this whole saga unfold. And I got to say, it's been like over a decade for me just kind of following, following the mm-hmm. story. Um, so we'll definitely get into it. Lots to talk about. It's been, you know, let me just also say, like, uh, our listeners may remember the uh, when the Samsung, what was it, the Galaxy, 
this is the first like Samsung smartwatch. Chrissy, you broke that story. I remember you calling me while I was shopping for furniture and just like uh, we were workshopping some ideas around that. So that story went to Good Morning America. You were kind of at the forefront of smartwatches hitting America, right? Uh, <laughs> was it the Galaxy yeah, Fit? I forget that. what they called um, it. But yeah, I think I did leak the first Samsung smartwatch, like all the original designs mm-hmm. for it. Um, and that, gosh, that must have been 2013 or something like that. Um, so this was, you know, this was early. Um, and since then, obviously we've had so many others come to the forefront with, with Fitbit and, um, Apple watch certainly. And we've made massive strides with the technology and consumer adoption, but yeah, I mean, seriously, OG, we're like OG tech reporters (laughs) making me feel old. So in October, the international trade commission, the ITC said that Apple was infringing on Massimo's patents around, uh, blood oxygen sensors around its uh, pulse oximeter. And this has been an ongoing thing. Chrissy, you've probably been hearing about this like ongoing battle between Apple and Massimo forever, right? Because this kind of goes back years. This goes back a long while. Uh, this feature first launched on the, uh, the Apple Watch 6. So that was like 2020. But Apple has been working on this. And um, I think the story is way back in 2013. I'm reading a recap here from 9to5Mac. Apple reportedly contacted medical tech company Massimo about forming a working relationship around their pulse oximeter. Um, That never actually happened. But the story is Apple saw, you know, uh, confidential information. They signed the NDAs. Uh, They hired Massimo's chief medical officer uh, at the beginning of 2013. And the story is that uh, Massimo has filed a lawsuit in 2020 accusing Apple of stealing trade secrets because of hiring him. Their technology seems very similar to Massimo's own pulse oximeter. Chrissy, like, do you have any thoughts just from the overall tech, uh, the health tech industry about this, this situation? Yeah, so this is, this is like, this goes way back for me. Um, mm-hmm. I started reporting on this in 2014 when I had joined Reuters and I was the Apple reporter there. Um, and I had started to notice because I was really close with a lot of people in the biomedical and healthcare world, because that was my other passion, as you know. Um, that Apple was hiring people out of companies like Massimo. And that was surprising because at the time it didn't really make any sense. Like they hadn't, they had sort of hinted that there was going to be some kind of healthcare strategy, but there was really, I mean, we were still calling it the iWatch. You remember that? Mm -hmm. Like it was still really unclear what they were going to do. And I, so I put out this story in, here it is. It's for Reuters, May, May 5th, 2014, Apple on medical tech hiring spree, a possible hint of iWatch plans. And it included a few quotes from Joe Chiani, who was the Massimo CEO, who I had just gotten to know around that time. And and he had said, Mm -hmm. look, Apple's hiring a lot of my really good people. I mean, and and this this is the quote, some of the talent Apple recruited has access to deep wells of trade secrets and information. Um, and and among the, those hired um, was actually the chief medical officer um, for Massimo, as well as over um, twenty engineers. It's now come out that it was that that number. Mm-hmm. So um, you know, he he told me they're just buying people, and I just hope that Apple is not doing what we're doing. And you know, this was before we even saw any of the original kind of designs for the for the watch. And and ultimately, as you mentioned, there was. Um, a strong kind of indicator in that initial initial watch that they were going to be doing something in in blood o- oxygen and um, 
the pulse oximetry space at the time was really dominated by this company, Massimo. Mm-hmm. So this was this was a, a really big threat, and the CEO was worried about it even a decade ago. And it's 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 certainly the case that Apple has pursued the strategy. Um, and you know, obviously, it's it's a matter of the courts and the lawyers to determine whether or not this is you know just Apple coming up with um, its own spin on a on this technology. And and as many people have pointed out, big companies will will borrow ideas from each other all the time. It's yeah. it just happens. Or this is something that you know one would say is just infringement that they just directly copied from this company Massimo and. Um, I think you know there's just been a lot of debate about it and and it's obviously looking more favorable now to to Massimo but I think Apple's hoping that the Biden administration will will ultimately side with them and and see their view and they you know mm-hmm. that that they'll know they'll know that Apple is this very innovative company and it's just not in their nature to to steal um from from other from other companies so both sides of this have come out pretty strongly on this issue um, and and I think only time will tell where it's going to go and how it's going to land. Yeah, a couple of things I want to lay out here, too. Because of that October ITC decision, Apple basically has been told that it has to stop selling the Apple Watch Series 9 and Ultra 2 on December 21st. That's the day we're recording this on their website and on December 24th at Apple's retail store. So timing not so great for people looking for last minute gifts. Um, to be clear, to third-party retailers like Amazon and Best Buy can still keep selling these things, but they will not get new stock. This is basically a shipment ban and also a ban from Apple, you know, selling its own stuff. The latest news we have this morning, we have a story from Richard Lai in Hong Kong. Uh, the ITC has denied Apple's request to pause the ban. They were saying, like, uh, Apple's, like, in in process of getting the appeal done, but that's going to take a little while. Um Apple had asked to just like pause the ban so sales could keep happening. That's been denied. So the only thing left now is that President Biden could veto this decision to keep the sales going. And we're just kind of waiting to see if that happens. Historically, that's not a thing that tends to happen uh, pretty often. So yeah, this is just a really strange case of Apple's most high profile wearables now just cannot be sold in the U.S. because of this dispute. Um Chrissy, like you were mentioning, you were hearing that Apple is doing the same thing from other companies. Is this kind of a habit from Apple of like poaching people to to help build tech that they're seeing, you know, being built elsewhere? Yeah, it's a great set of questions you bring up. Uh, interestingly, I did I did see Gene Munster, who was this sort of Apple analyst that everybody talks to, um, and also a, an investor, um, say that he does not think that this will have make a huge dent on Apple Watch sales because most people who who would buy a watch for Christmas have already done so. So yeah. so probably not huge consequences for Apple in terms of it just you know making a dent on sales. But then certainly the the symbolism around this is is massive. Um, and Joe Kiani has been the CEO of Massimo has just been on television recently on a spree just saying this company stole from us and is not as innovative as it used to be. And um, this is not the Apple that you know from the era of Steve Jobs. Um, And certainly you've seen both sides of it really come out. You know, a lot of people have said, actually, um, Apple is is still the most innovative business in, in the U.S. And that, you know, just because they both have this interest in developing blood oxygen sensors doesn't mean that Apple didn't do it in its own way. And, and there have been other issues that have come up in the past with its health technology push. Um, a business called AliveCore at one point also had a dispute with Apple over the um, ECG 
feature that was mm-hmm. designed around heart health. So you've seen you've seen this come up before with some of these smaller companies that develop kind of um, aspects of what the of what the watch is doing overall in health. Um, and I think it's going to continue as Apple will certainly move into other areas of health monitoring with the watch. There have been mm-hmm. reports, including from myself, about um, their interest in, in areas you know, ranging from kind of blood glucose um, to, you know, really doing more in the sort of stress area and ex- monitoring stress and anxiety and, and so many other things that they intend to do with the watch. But there are, of course, other companies that are also developing technologies in these spaces and Apple does tend to poach a lot of talent <laughs> from these companies. A lot of mm-hmm. a lot of the reason for that, Devendra, is really around this question of of build or buy, and they do not buy. They do not buy very often, and when they do buy, mm-hmm. it is tends to be, especially in healthcare, really small acquisitions, five, ten, twenty million dollar acquisitions of companies that you've never heard of, and then some reporter will have to find out that this acquisition even happened months later. Or sometimes it never really comes out at all. But those are the tens of acquisitions that it that it does, not the multi-billion dollar public right. company acquisitions, because those are the sorts of things where you get, you know, much more involvement from regulators. It becomes a huge press story. It indicates what their future plans will be. And so mm-hmm. I think that's one of the reasons why they didn't buy Massimo, although um, now it's been reported that, that there were talks at one point in time. Uh, whether mm-hmm. or not that's true, I, I, I have not confirmed um, independently, but but those talks have been rumored. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's just a lot of interesting things here to unpack. Um, but yeah, they do tend to pursue a strategy of of mm-hmm. build rather than rather than buy, which is, I think, what, what we're seeing in this case. Yeah, I think the tough thing for Apple here is that uh, they have both the means and the motive, basically, to steal, to use Massimo's ideas uh, for their own pulse exometer tech. I'm sure they're aware of the potential downsides of doing this, but there are reports like, the 9 to 5 Mac report, um, the Wall Street Journal had reported that they ended up paying um, Dr. Michael O'Reilly, the former chief medical officer at Massimo, millions of dollars to come over. And that guy has in his brain a lot of a lot of proprietary uh, technology and ideas. Um, Apple ended up filing its own patents around uh, pulse oximeters, but it is trying to invalidate Massimo's. And I think that is where this whole, this whole dis- discussion is kind of like... Uh, this is where it's all kind of focused, and Apple tends to do that, right? They tend to patent their own stuff and maybe deny or, I don't know, diminish the patents from other companies, even though they're using very similar stuff. Um, Ben, did you have any thoughts on that? So, Chrissy, I'm not sure how much you know about the legal details of this, but if you poach, like we just said, Apple hired a Massimo executive, a medical director who knows just a lot of things, and it's all inside his head— how are you supposed to completely make sure that like you're not accidentally doing patent infringement? Yeah, I mean, I think that is that is definitely a question for the for the lawyers, but um you what you could argue there's so many ways to argue this. You could say mm-hmm. you can't, you know, this this guy has got a deep well of knowledge and it's really hard to totally separate that. Um on the other hand, whether you're, you know, in the world of biomedical sensing, it is a very, very small world, very small. So there are not that many people that you can even hire that can build, you know, these sorts of sensors um, in areas like pulse oximetry, in areas like non-invasively detecting glucose, which, by the way, nobody's managed to do. And companies ranging from Google to J&J to Apple, I mean, 
countless companies have spent billions on trying to do this and have failed because it is so hard. You just need some of the best talent in the world and you need you need so much money because it's it's a physics problem, it's a chemistry problem. Even just separating glucose and water in the blood is is just I mean a near impossible task and it, this is true across so many of these kind of attempts to build new things, you know, with with something as small as the form factor of the watch. From a biomedical perspective, it just boggles the mind in, in terms of how complicated it is. So that's a very long-winded way of saying very small pool to hire from. Yeah, and if you're a patent lawyer, please email us at <laughs> podcast at Engadget.com. I'd really like to know if there are only a few different ways to skin the proverbial cat here, how do you not end up doing patent infringement? Because, you know, there might only be mm-hmm. three ways of doing it. It's uh, it's tough. You know, we talked about Apple's ambitions stretching way back, basically over a decade, into doing things like uh, non-invasive glucose monitoring. Uh, Chrissy, you probably ended up reporting on some of this, but we talked about the revelation that Apple had basically spun out like a a secret startup to work on this stuff and to work on tech for the Apple Watch. And glucose monitoring was something they wanted in the initial launch, and they couldn't make it happen. That kind of like shifted Apple Watch from being like a great medical device towards being more of like an activity tracking and a fun device. It's a little different there. Um, you know, what do you think this whole thing means for Apple's health ambitions? Because it seems like this is a company that wants to do more in health and they have the money, like they have more money than most other companies on hand to just like barrel their way into this. What do you think this means for Apple's yeah medical plans or health plans in general? So I actually broke a lot of that news about that secret division um, when I was at CNBC. And I will say that my sources made really clear at the time that Apple never intended for glucose to be part of the original watch. Um, Because of the reasons that I mentioned, it is really, really hard. I don't even know how to stress that. Like, it's possible that we may never be able to accomplish this in our lifetimes. It seems like a Theranos-level goal of just like, yeah, having a magical, you know, thing happening with health that's never been possible before. Yeah, Exactly. um, There's a book written about this called The Hunt for the Deceitful Turkey (laughs) that is brilliant. (laughs) If you're very interested in this stuff, worth reading. But Yes, they had, um, this goes back all the way to Steve Jobs when he um, got pancreatic cancer. He ended up getting diabetes because they took out a piece of his pancreas and literally on his deathbed bought a company in this space, in the biomedical sensing space. So I think, you know, from what I had heard after he passed, Apple kind of ended up with this vision of like, oh crap, we have this and we don't, I guess we have to like make good on this. So that led to this kind of, um, secretive company that has been now reported on and I think is widely widely known despite that Apple has never really confirmed its existence. Mm-hmm. So clearly they would like to be able to kind of move into some of these areas. It makes so much sense. I mean, I've always said and I still maintain the Apple Watch from a medical perspective is a nice to have. Being yeah. able to non-invasively monitor blood glucose on this device for the first time is a must-have. And it's not just millions of people worldwide who have diabetes, type 1 and type 2. It's for every single person on the planet. And it's not just blood glucose. I think blood oxygen is another really, really huge and important unlock for cardiovascular health. It's an absolute mm-hmm. game changer. So I think if that happens, you know, and who knows what what form it may take, maybe it is going to be 
um, an exact replacement for some of these medical devices that are on the market that are minimally invasive, or it will be a trend line or, or something else. But if Apple is able to pull it off, it will be the great contribution to mankind that they claimed that healthcare would be yeah. five, six years ago. I think it was Tim Cook who said that. Yes. I don't yeah, believe yeah. that Apple has made a great contribution to mankind yet. But if they can pull this off, like I will be the first one like acknowledging that because that that is going to be a very big deal. Absolutely. I have family members who suffer from diabetes. It is something I'm worried about myself too. Like it is, yeah, this would be, this would be saving thousands of lives, potentially millions, I guess, every year by having access to that tech. So, you know, we'll be keeping a close eye on all of this, of course. Chrissy Farr, thank you so much for joining us. Where can people find your work online these days and just your thoughts? Yeah, follow me on um, on Twitter. I guess I'm supposed to call it X. Um, at we never do. Farr. It's fine. Okay, Twitter. Okay, and that's what it should be. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so who knows if if they'll be around in a year from now. But um, please follow me on Twitter. I'm still there. And I have a sub stack too called Second Opinion. And I just mostly use it to, to write about healthcare. So would uh, would love to see you there. Thank you. Let's move on to some other news and some, I guess, genuinely sad news. A Bloomberg uh, article has found, a Bloomberg report has found a large AI data set, uh, Lion 5B, has over 1,000 child abuse images um, within it. It can also be used to create material that basically demonstrate child sexual abuse or CSAM material. Um, This is gross. This is gross as hell and exactly the thing I worry about when we are building these AI models where it's just like collecting information we don't know. It's kind of like a black box is what's in there. But when you look too deeply, it is not great stuff. Um, This is a great report by Davey Alba and Rachel Metz, um, both great reporters. And let me just see here. Um, Yeah, it's generally not great news and this is also not a new thing right ben you saw something else that had like a similar similar issue how do you get a thousand csam images in an ai model to begin with people have csam images and they are just around it's gross as hell so what you're doing is you're just like tying together huge tranche of images and eventually things just filter in like Mm -hmm. yeah that's very bizarre But the connection that I wanted to mention was a 404 Media report about Mm -hmm. uh, a platform called Civit AI. This is a venture-backed platform. Andreessen Horowitz put a bunch of money into it, of course, with their new push into AI. According to a 404 Media report, at least 60% of the images on Civit AI could be considered as NSFW. They could be considered deepfake. There are some models on Civit AI that could generate CSAM materials on their own. It is shocking just how much CSAM material is out there, and it's absolutely disgusting. And this, this to me, is like one of those red flags about AI, too, of how we're just building these models. And I don't know how this AI model got racist. I don't know how this AI model has all these like, um, you know, all these beliefs, even though it's pulled from uh, information that is not great. That's all. And that's why AI ethics is so important, because you need to think about what you're putting into the machines. Mm -hmm. I think I've talked about it on the show before. In 2018, there was a really good book published called Automating Inequality by Virginia Eubanks. And in broad strokes... The idea of this book is if you give the machines just all of the data rather than specific data for the outcomes you want, 
if you give the machine all of the mortgage data going back, you know, 70 years or something, it will eventually realize, oh, redlining might be good, actually. There's a whole lot of data in here that says redlining is good. I'm just going to continue doing that. The most the most efficient way to raise uh, retail, you know, uh, real estate prices in specific zones, like, yeah. Uh, hmm. Or the best way to get people out of hospitals, according to IBM's Watson, is to just discharge them. Not to find the most efficient treatment methods, but just why not discharge them? Why not discharge them? Uh, in Georgia, we are having the issue of not enough hospitals. It's disgusting. Like, they are shutting down and people are just having to travel uh, many, many miles to get any medical help. Anyway, this is all very sad, but uh, this is why we are worried about... Um, us leaning so much on AI folks. I'm going to be, I'll be, I'm working on a piece actually it should be up by the time this article or this podcast goes up, but I've worked on a piece about what Microsoft is doing with AI and windows and why I'm still not fully sold on it. And why I think, you know, Microsoft, there are potential issues around all this AI stuff that we need to see. So anyway, let's move on to a slightly less sad story. Sony has said, um, Sony announced yesterday that it has officially sold 50 million PlayStation fives. Um, so, basically three years since its launch in November 2020. Notably, that is only one week longer than it took the PlayStation 4 to reach that number. So the PS5 has been plagued by production issues, you know, all sorts of delays, all the pandemic-like supply chain issues, but they still managed to hit this number. Um, uh, yeah, it just looks like this is basically on track to be, once again, the winner of this generation, uh, similar to what happened with the, uh, the last gen we saw one source saying uh playstation 4 sales lifetime sales were 117.2 million xbox one was 58.5 million almost half well yeah but xbox and microsoft don't release information as often as they don't it's all sony does yeah it's all estimates but it's very it is very very sad um i was looking at a piece from uh, the financial times which pulled data from Empire analysis and we have to look at data analysis because microsoft does not release information about this stuff um but M- uh, Empire estimated that microsoft sold 7.6 million uh xbox series x and s systems uh this year that's a 15 percent drop from last year um but sony sales exploded by 65 percent to reach 22.5 million units and I mean, listen, we've been talking about these consoles and the issues Microsoft has been facing for a while. It is no surprise why this is happening. Like, Sony's got the games. Sony has the games people want to play. Spider-Man 2 just came out. And it seems like every time Microsoft tries to bank on a big-ass release, um, they just fall on their face. Like, whatever their plans are. Like, Halo Infinite was going to be a big deal. Had to be delayed a year. And when it launched, it was just fine. I actually really like the multiplayer, but was not enough to, like, really get people to buy that hardware redfall was another one i was super excited about it from arcane disaster of a game apparently it just like was rushed and barely a game in there i guess the argument has been like i don't know if you've noticed this but i wonder if microsoft just doesn't even really care about these hardware numbers as much because what they want to do is sell game pass subscriptions and they can do that to pc users and everything too like that is microsoft's gaming ambition but i do think it would help them to sell more units too to be honest. Have you heard anyone talking about Starfield in the last month or so? In terms of how disappointed they are, yes. <laughs> but that's the only... Yeah, Starfield is another one, by the way. Starfield was the game we were waiting all year for, and it's... Uh, Microsoft spent so much money buying Bethesda and all these other developers, and we got another Bethesda game that is kind of disappointing and un- honestly not as good as some of their older games. So, 
and sad state of affairs. It is a sad state of affairs. I try not to let nostalgia color my understanding of what console generation was the best. But man, does it seem like Microsoft hasn't had heat like it did during the original Halo trilogy. Well, depends on what you mean by original. But uh, uh, Xbox What I'm talking about yeah. is Halo Combat Evolved, Halo 2, Halo 3 between the Xbox and the 360 seemed like the time when it was on the most equal footing, at least to me, the like totally uncultured observer at that point. Uh, if we go back and look at the numbers, I think the PS2 still like dramatically outsold. No, absolutely. No, dude, the, the first Xbox was a disaster for Microsoft. Like Microsoft basically came into this being like, we got a ton of money. We have the most powerful system on the market. And they did. It had the most power. It was a freaking brick. Um, was widely rejected in Japan. Like, j the Japanese market never accepted it. And Xbox is still having trouble there. Um, worldwide was having issues. It really was just Halo and some of the some of the sports games, I think, that just really sold it on people. What is funny, and maybe at some point we can have this discussion, is that I was a huge Dreamcast fan. The Dreamcast was the first console. <laughs> we talked every time. Myself. We talk about consoles. You want to talk about Dreamcast. But the Dreamcast was basically the Xbox 0 0.5 because the Dreamcast ran Windows CE, which also powered the Xbox. And I think certainly gave Microsoft a lot of like a lot of like a preview of what it took to get into this market. And uh, the Dreamcast was also killed because of Windows CE, and Windows CE had bad copy protection, and everybody was copying disks, and it was a wild time to be on the internet. It's a good old time. Some men think about the Roman Empire. Devendra thinks about the Dreamcast. I think about the Dreamcast all the time. But the th Xbox 360 was the main, well, like, was when the Xbox really took off. Um, the Microsoft Benefit, I believe it came out a little earlier than the PlayStation 3. It was cheaper than the PlayStation 3. They had some really good games. And then Microsoft lost a ton of money because of the whole Red Ring of Death problem. So that was, again, even though the 360 was a huge success, they had to replace basically every single console. So they lost billions on that, too. Um, I had to send my 360 in for I did Red too. Ring of Death. I did, too. I actually paid to get mine fixed because I had bought a used one. And the person who sold it clearly had, like, removed the backplate to like mm. to a different serial number i was like dude what, what what's going on here um so i basically had to spend like 150 bucks or whatever to get to get the motherboard replaced and after that deal after microsoft announced it would be fixing everything they just sent out checks to everybody who paid to get it fixed so imagine the amount of money it took anyway microsoft has been pouring money into video games for a while and it is it really only worked out during the 360 and even then just barely because of that whole replacement thing and then they screwed up the xbox one generation because they got too big for their britches and was like this is your only box this is your entertainment box and uh i i don't know this company is just never going to catch up to anything on the gaming okay front. so let's yeah. talk about bird let's talk about bird and i'm not talking about the ones that fly i'm talking about the ones that clog your sidewalks in every urban area the ones that crashed basically and uh you know yeah the electric scooter company bird announced this week that it's filing for bankruptcy two years after going public um this does not mean bird is going away immediately um let me see here existing lenders have agreed to purchase the assets and the company is being kept afloat via a 25 million dollar loan from apollo global management which by the way owns Engadget and yahoo and yeah yeah yeah. um second lien holders and yeah they they basically are keeping bird running it's going to keep operating as usual this is not affecting bird canada or bird U europe which is uh, those are separate companies 
But okay. the company is just saying like, hey, we, we expanded too quickly. Um, we moved too fast uh, and it, they just could not keep up. What do you think of the bird scooters, Ben? Like, have you used any of these things? Because there's a ton of options in New York now. They don't have just scooters littering the streets. I'm not sure if they ever ne- They never did. did in New York. They New York had like revels. to be like, no, 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 no. We're not letting you do this garbage here. So they had revels. They had revels. Those were revel fell apart too, by the way. Yeah. Yes, those but Revel was a um like street legal scooter like moped company. And I know of at least one person who died. Oh no. On a Revel, not me personally, but there was a local like New York City TV news reporter. Uh you know, a young woman I remember just that. starting yeah. her on-camera career for I think ABC um like nightly news and so they spent a lot of time looking into Revel specifically because of that. And like she was just ha- trying to have fun on a weekend, and mopeds uh, are dangerous. And New York is yeah. not a, like so. Revel shut down its moped business on November eighteenth. They announced that's going away. Uh, they still are running an electric car rental business. You can like pick those up and drive them all around the city. But New York is notoriously dangerous for um, for bikes. And mopeds, too, which move even faster than bikes. And I think cars have even less time to, like, deal with it. At least they were bright blue. Um, And that was a safe version of this whole thing, right? I think the bird thing, when I used to visit Austin or visit the West Coast for for events and stuff, I was shocked at how just, like, the streets were just littered with garbage scooters. Usually bird, sometimes other companies. Um, Yeah, my first exposure was in Washington, D.C. in like 2017, 2018. That was the first time that I had interacted with that generation of like electric push scooters. And it was so much fun. But I could definitely see how you just hit a crack in the sidewalk and all of a sudden you bought your orthopedic surgeon a whole new round of Christmas gifts. Sure. Assuming it's your orthopedic surgeon, assuming it's not like your brain leaking out onto the sidewalk or something because most people you're not you're not renting these things and wearing a helmet but i do remember being shocked at these companies who could just like deploy these things in cities and not give a shit about where things are stored right or where things have to be parked and people tragedy the common stuff will just like leave the thing anywhere because there's nothing telling them not to and they're not going to get a ticket for leaving it in the middle of the street or whatever or in the i mean sidewalk. it's garbage isn't that the whole idea of like better to ask for forgiveness than permission and they figured that people would just love it so much that eventually they would build in laws after the fact i think it was more like uh it's it's also win at all costs it's a, this is like post uber where uber just uh took over, like, basically obliterated rivals, uh, cheated to take a lot of business away from Lyft. We've talked about this. Um, I'm watching Super Pumped right now. I like Joseph Gordon-Levitt, so... He's fine, but uh, do not watch his latest movie on Apple TV because he is terrible in it, and it really kind of kills that movie. Anyway, Bird Filing for Bankruptcy just feels like just desserts for this company, so... Yeah. We'll be, we'll be seeing whatever else happens. Uh, I kind of want to punch every VC who was hyping up micro-mobility just because it was a really good investment opportunity for them because they wanted to see what happened to Uber, happened to, you know, happened to these companies as well. And it's all just such garbage. And I we could clock that from the beginning when you see these things littering the streets with no, basically no repercussions. Uh, in other big news this week, hackers have released footage 
from the upcoming Wolverine game and uh, 1.3 other million stolen files uh, from Insomniac Games. This is part of a ransomware attack. Uh, they demanded a $2 million ransom. Um, Insomniac did not pay up, so stuff got leaked out. The group is Ricida. Um, they announced that they had taken 1.67 terabytes of data, including a lot of like personal information from company employees too. So like I believe sensitive numbers, I think photos of passports that they had for some reason. I don't know why a company would have that on file, but okay. I think that might be like more HR documents than anything. Those are more so HR they... documents, yes, but you don't you don't take those scans. Like or at least those would be within concur or like a secure system that's holding that data. So yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't that know might there. reveal that they might not have an instance of concur. This or is something. Sony. This is Sony. Anyway, uh, I, I don't know. I just thought it was really interesting that the hacker group that did it in their statement said, "Oh, it took only twenty to twenty-five minutes. Like easy peasy. Like GG, no re. Like such a hacker way such of being. Like, thing. oh yeah, it was. It was so easy. Like just did it in an afternoon, basically." Mm-hmm. Uh, Ricita's initial, I'm reading from our Engadget report, Ricita's initial notice allowed anyone to bid on the data, not just Insomniac games, and some of it was bought. We don't know by who. But when they dumped this data, they only dumped 98% of the stolen data. So that's 2% of data in God knows whose hands at this point. And they could be doing anything with it. Um, So yeah, not great for Insomniac games. Uh, There's a lot of discourse too about how other websites are covering the information coming out of these leaks and, you know, how bad it feels for the game industry. And I think this is a good reminder to people that, um, you know, the games media and the games industry and developers are not the same thing. We are, we are separate forces and some sites will cover things deeply when they get access to any information. Some will take their time. Um, you know, some will be more judicious. We didn't really dive into too many of the leaks ourselves, but I don't blame any site that does because the information is out there. You know, so that's the thing. And I'm looking forward to this game. I love Insomniac. I love Wolverine. I love Wolverine more than Spider-Man. Um, I cannot wait. Games reporters game. aren't here to protect your idea of the games industry. Just remember that. That's basically it. That's basically it. And uh, there's a weird thing happening in media and in professional circles in general where it's like PR and the media and PR and other folks are like mixing and thinking they're all friends. And like, yeah, I'm I'm very friendly with PR people, but... I, I cannot be very good friends with too many folks because sometimes I have to report on your company doing bad things and you're going to feel bad about it. That's it. Let's move on to what we're working on and uh, just me this week, I guess. Um, I am, you know, just fully preparing for CS. We have so many embargoes. We have so much details. I think this is going to be a really fun event. We're going to do a CS preview when I get back. That'll be the first week of January. And that should be fun because I think there's a lot of stuff that people are going to be looking forward to. I also have that piece I mentioned about Microsoft's AI ambitions. Uh, I spent a lot of time like just racking my brain about that and what's happening. Um, so yeah, check out that piece. Uh, there are some quotes from Aaron Woodman, who is the chief, uh, I believe the head of marketing for Windows. I talked to him back in September and had nowhere to like use that interview before. So we, there is some information there that I think is pretty cool. Let's move on to our pop culture picks for the week. And I have a couple things because I feel like the common theme lately has been about the world ending. And just civilization falling apart, so... I mean, that's one of your favorite topics, it is. Let's be real. But also, 
buddy, it's happening. Like we're we're seeing the the seeds of our destruction being all uh, you see you know planted all around us. Um, I want to shout out Carol in the End of the World, which is a new show on Netflix. It's an animated show by Dan Gutterman, who um, I believe used to work on Rick and Morty. He was also um, the head writer of The Onion for like a decade in the 2000s. So he is somebody who is, I think, a deeply funny dude. This is a show set in a world where everyone knows the world is going to end. Like for certain, there is a planet in the sky. It is slowly coming closer to Earth. Scientists are just like, we're doomed. That's it. So it is a really interesting exploration of how society would react to that, of people just just like living their best lives and, you know, uh, capitalism breaks basically because everything seems like it's free. Um, and the show is about somebody who does not know how to survive in this environment. It's about Carol, who's a very norm core lady. All she wants to do is go to Applebee's. She misses the state of the world. <laughs> she does not want to live her best self because she, she that's just not what she wants. Um it's a show about herself. What if your best self is boring? What That's if your best self is super, super boring? And Carol's very boring. But what is interesting about the show is that we see a lot of people doing the, all the things, like uh, traveling all around the world, um, you know, going on adventures. And then we see Carol, who's just like, this all just seems really boring. I just want to live my boring life. And I miss that. And I think it's kind of sweet. It's kind of life affirming. Um, you do kind of root for Carol, even though she's infuriating as a character sometimes. It's just like, live a little lady. Come on. Um, and I won't spoil like what ends up happening. But this show ends up being a bit like Office Space and Severance in ways I did not expect. Um, it's a slow burn at times. It's not always immediately funny. I think the best way to, to describe it is that it's the anti-Rick and Morty, where Rick and Morty is a mile a minute joke show. Um, with really colorful, flamboyant characters. This is a show that takes its sweet time because it's really about uh, civilization coming to terms with uh, impending doom. And it's kind of fascinating. It reminds me of Lars von Trier's Melancholia, except a little funnier. I think that's worth watching, especially if you want like a slow burn kind of comedy. I also saw, want to shout out Leave It All Behind, the new Sam Ismail movie that's on Netflix, mainly because I love Sam Ismail, the creator, writer, director of Mr. Robot. Um, this is a his second feature film, he did a rom-com that was not so great and we don't talk about it, but this is a really cool, um, you know, exploration of like what a, what a small group of people would be doing if, uh, if a civilization was slowly like, um, I don't know if it was an attack or something that slowly like broke civilization and you end up being stuck with your family and just trying to keep them safe. I think it's a lot of fun, even though I know people are very mad about the ending. Um, if you want something that does end perfectly, I do want to shout out A Murder at the End of the World, which is on Hulu, which is also kind of like Mr. Robot. I talked about it before. It is Mr. Robot meets a girl with a dragon tattoo. It's very, very good. And I can tell you for a certain, it is a limited series that ends well. It is good all the way through. I think it's even better from since the beginning. Um, it's also a murder mystery. And I think the actual solution to the mystery is also really cool and kind of relevant to things we've been talking about. So if you're listening to this podcast, you will probably like A Murder at the End of the World. It's on Hulu right now. And what do you got, Ben? In 2021, there was a really great headline published in the science section of the New York Times. Mm -hmm. It was, when an eel climbs a ramp yes. to eat squid from a clamp. That's Amore. Yes. It was written by a young science writer named Sabrina Imbler. And 
I can't with full confidence say that this headline got them a book deal, but I can tell you that their book, How Far the Light Reaches, is currently sitting on my nightstand, and it is a lot of fun to read. It is ocean facts, ichthyology facts, marine biology intertwined with memoir. And so if that's something that you're interested in, there's a lot of coming of age, there's a lot of talking about queerness and stuff. But if you're not here for these stories about coming of age in, you know, the 2010s, you could always be enthralled by the accounts of the entire, like, ecological systems that form around whale falls. When a whale dies, it might feed the ocean floor for more than a hundred years. It's amazing. Yeah, imagine that giant thing just slowly sinking to the to the bottom of the ocean. Yeah. Because usually the things that live on the bottom of the ocean eat this stuff called marine snow. It's like imagine like something that lived on the floor of your house ate just like the dust and like and the little skin, skin particles. Yeah. Yeah, basically. <laughs> like that's this whole um ecosystem on the ocean floor, except for when a whale dies and sinks, and then, man, there's just like a jubilee, an explosion. So if you want to learn some cool marine biology facts, check out How Far the Light Reaches by Sabrina Impler. Thank you, Ben. Uh, I need to have more time to read books, just to carve that out in my life. So yeah, that's yeah. something that I'm trying to do more in the coming year. Please do. Please do. Like, uh, uh, life may take you another direction, so take your free time <laughs> while you have it read some books yeah. everybody because now i regret not reading enough thank you so much that's a wrap for this episode our theme music is by game composer dale north our outro music is by our very own managing editor terrence o'brien the podcast is produced by mr ben elman you can find me online at at davindra on mastodon and blue sky and uh you know i'm on threads but don't don't hit me on both threads like thre threads is getting really thirsty of just telling me hey your friends are talking on threads come to threads no, thank you, Threads. Where can we find you online, Ben? Send me an email at benelman.wav.wav at gmail.com. That's it. That's it. Uh, just one dot wave. Uh, ben was just saying it several different ways. Uh, email us at podcast.engadget.com. Leave us a review on iTunes and subscribe on anything that gets podcasts. If we ended up on your, you know, wrap-ups, let us know. Always love to hear that people are enjoying the show. Thanks, folks. We're out.